I'm, um, I just want to say, if you're a guest today, thanks for visiting Crossroads Church. We, we love people here, and we love the Word of God, and I hope you sense that. If, if you've never been in a church that um, sang maybe the way we do, you need to understand that most, well, first, every, every word that we sang was somehow lifted from scriptures. Some of the verses that we sang were lifted directly. They were all teaching the Word of God, and we love to, to worship the Lord. We also love the Word of God here, and we love people. So thanks for coming, and uh, we invite you to join us after, after church. There's coffee and cookies, and it's all free and so forth for fellowship back there. Um, I, I have this habit. Proverbs. Proverbs is the deal. I love to always have a proverb of the day today. So I picked um, Proverbs 15.31. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Wow. Okay. So today we're starting a new um, message series. And um, before we we actually read the text, I want to start with a couple of stories. My dad used to love to go fishing. And um, we lived. I grew up in Spokane, and, and uh, he was a school teacher. And when school got out, and he could, you know, be freed from his responsibilities, we'd take off and go fishing. And um, we'd go into the lakes around Spokane, and and uh, we went quite a lot. And I think, you know, my dad was just a very patient guy, and it was still fishing. Do you know what that is? Where you put it in there and you sit still? That is so hard for a little kid to do. And I remember um, the very first time my dad says, okay, you know, we, he would set it up for me and I'd just sit there and hold it and we'd catch fish. And then, you know, he thought he would teach me how to cast. And I remember the very first time he says, okay, you take this and you do this. You know, that whole routine with the cast. And um, <laughs> this... <laughs> This is called a bird's nest. This is, if you, if the very first time I ever, this is not a picture of the very first time, but I've seen this so many times. And I remember the very first time I cast, and this thing happens. And I didn't know what I was doing. And if you're a fisherman, you know this is a mess. It's like the rest of the time you're out fishing, you're going to fix this, or you, um, it's just a terrible thing. And I remember the look on my dad's face. It's kind of like, he was very patient with, with me, um, with things like this. And, um, but I just remember, it's like, what did you do? And I said, I don't know what I did. What's wrong with this? Real, it's obviously not me. I mean, I'm thinking that kind of stuff, and it was just terrible. And, I, and, and here's the thing. When this happens, when you're fishing, you've got to figure out what you're going to do. Are you going to, um, you're just going to cut the, cut the mess out? Or are you going to just throw the whole thing away and give up? You know, um, I mean, and I, and I learned that when you cast, you've got to keep your finger on the reel. You've got to keep your finger on the source of, of line. So I learned that a different story. We're going to come back to that topic a little bit later, just kind of um, placeholder. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was when I first became a pastor, um, it was kind of expected of me to go visit people in the hospital. And that just scared the stuffing out of me. Why did it scare the stuffing out of me? And not because I was afraid I was going to catch anything or, or do anything stupid. I just, it's just, well, I guess that was always a risk, right, that I'd do something. But I mean, the, the, but, but, but it scared me because I thought, you know, I'm going to go in the hospital and these, these people I'm going to visit, they got real problems. It's not like me and my little petty problems, but these, these are real problems. And, and the people that you encounter there many times, you know, they're looking for some sort of healing. And they're looking sometimes for some sort of hope. Maybe they realize that they're going to just go in, they're going to do some stuff, and they're going to come out, and they'll be fine. And many times they just don't know. So they're looking for healing in their hope. And I felt this tremendous weight as a pastor. i got to go in there, be some manner of faith-filled guy, pray this prayer, 
that was going to somehow part the heavens, the moons and the wind, all the, and somehow when I walked out of that hospital room, there would be healing in my wake. Like, talk about pressure, right? Like, or else I wouldn't be a pastor. I wouldn't be, I mean, I was scared to go. I felt all this deal. And so I remember first couple of times I thought, you know, um, I'm, I've just got to, if I, if I pray with enough faith, if I pray the right prayers, and so, you know, I quoted commonly, I quoted verses that I'd heard because I, I, I figured that, you know, if you quote the Bible in your prayers, it's going to be more powerful, right? You're looking at me like, okay. So, I mean, and I'm, 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 I'm figuring if you quote, just, just go ahead and quote it, but it'll make you more powerful. Because, you know, maybe something, you know, God will be up in heaven and hear this. And you'll go, oh, hey, wait a second. He actually knows a verse. Let's go ahead and give him this one. You know, some, there's some sort of, I don't know what's, what I was thinking, but I was thinking I was doing what I was supposed to do. And, and I, I, I would pray, you know, God, you said in your word that anything we pray in your name, it's going to be done. And it's good to pray that, by the way. And so I'd pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you, and you know, fill in the blank. And I do that today, and I did that then, and, and, it, and it felt like so much pressure because there's just this need for healing and for hope. And, and sometimes, sometimes there would be a supernatural visitation, and I would see something happen, and it was very clear that God had stepped in and changed circumstances. Other times I'd pray for people, <laughs> and um, you know, they would, I'd pray for them, and they'd stay in the hospital through what would seem to be the natural course of their healing, and then they'd go home and they'd be better. And I couldn't say that, well, it's because the Lord intervened. I mean, it seems like medical procedures that were going to happen actually happened, and the predicted outcome was what happened. And then there'd be other times I'd pray, and not only did things not get better, they would sometimes get worse. And sometimes I'd pray for people in the name of Jesus and they'd die. I didn't kill them, okay? I, I, but, but you get my point. There didn't seem to always be a correlation between the name, saying, praying the name of Jesus and healing. You ever been there? I mean, I think, I think we've been there before. And I, I, mean, I mean, one that I prayed for diligently, Lord, in the name of Jesus, heal him, was when my father had this terrible, massive heart attack. And, and he's, you know, I've told you about this before. And he's, he's the medics have come, they've done their thing, he's in the back room, and they're working on him, and they barely come out and say to us, get the family, this is not good. We prayed, the Lord healed him, and he lived many years. He, you know, it, it, God intervened. God absolutely intervened in that circumstance. Then there was another season in his life where the doctor said he has cancer, this is not good, and we prayed and anointed in the name of Jesus and all that kind of stuff, we, all of it, and he died. The prayer didn't seem to change the course of what was happening there. God, why, why didn't you answer that prayer? That's the obvious question. Today I want to start a series, a new series, and this is, the theme of our series is going to be unraveling Twisted scriptures, unraveling twisted. And I want to look at some of the most bird-nested scriptures. <laughs> There's your picture, the most bird-nested verses that can come up in the Bible. We like, and, and here's the deal, when, when we cast those verses, if we don't keep our finger on the reel, the word can get all tangled up and we can get into a, a mess. It's really good to keep our finger on God's word and if, 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 to do that. Next week, um, I'll just mention this right now, next week, 
I think could be a topic that might be the most relevant to the lost other than salvation, um, of all the messages that, that I'm going to do at least this year, um, and that's, you know, for me to say that at this point, I'm going to talk about one of the most quoted verses by, by non-Christians, and actually one of the most quoted by Christians as well, um, and you would probably be able to pick this one up. You shouldn't judge, or else you're going to be judged. Or, you know, the way that we hear it said is in King James, even if you're not a Christian, judge not! You know, you've got to add that attitude. Don't you judge! You know, because it'll be on you as well. I'm going to talk about that next week. That's from, um, those are actually the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Today I want to look at also the words of Jesus, and, and these are the very words that I've prayed from John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. It's one of the most, I believe, missed, uh, misused verses in the Bible where Jesus said this, verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Wow. Anything in my name, and I will do it. If you pray in the name of Jesus to get the job, you've got to get the job. If you pray in the name of Jesus to get the girl, you've got to get... To, 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 to win the lottery, you've got to win the lottery, right? Because that's what it says. If you ask for anything in my name, it's red letters in my Bible... You know, which means as Jesus talking, it's got to come true. Now, maybe though, maybe you've seen like I have somebody who was sick and who could have been made better, who maybe even could have been cured by the doctors, yet they decided to kind of take a stance on that verse, to claim that verse for their healing, and so they refused treatment. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I have. And I've watched people do that and then not get better. Um, maybe you've seen it go worse than that, where the person took a stance and they died. Even though it was treatable and curable, they refused treatment. Because we use the name of Jesus, they have to be healed. And obviously, either that verse doesn't work, or that's not exactly what Jesus was saying. It's got to be one or the other. You know, maybe somehow we've bird-nested our understanding, our, our application of what Jesus is saying there. So um, I think what we're going to try and do is understand the text properly, and it depends on our approach. When you want to try to understand what the Word of God's saying, it depends on our approach. Uh, theologians have fancy words for this, but basically there are two, two ways people will try to interpret the Word of God. One way is to, 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 to try to draw out of the Word of God what the meaning is. Exegesis is a fancy word. Okay, who cares? Then there's another fancy word. It's called eisegesis. It's reading into the word what you want it to say, which is a very, very common and terrible problem. So um, what I want to do is, is uh, start with a very simple version for us about how, to, uh, how we should learn to interpret Scripture. And I'm going to give you three simple thoughts about how to do that today. Um, number one is we need to understand the context understand the context. To know, what, to know what the verse means, we want to know not just what it says, but, but what's coming before that verse? What's after that verse? Who wrote it? Who's it written to? Um, what's the major theme going on? There? What's God trying to say through this particular author? What's, what, is, what is the context? We need to understand the context of this. And it could be really, really easy to simply just pull a single verse out and, um, you know, 
transparently, I think, you know, probably all of us have done that at some point. And if you've done that, it doesn't make you a heretic. It, 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 we're all learning the Word of God, and we're all trying to figure it out, I think, as best we can. Um, but, um, but it's just not good to pull out a single verse and say, oh, you know, because after all, Judas hung himself. Do that. Go ye and do likewise. I mean, okay, you can't just take a verse out. Anyway, so I'm, I'm getting out of um, so, so to, to, um, So we want to learn and embrace um, the context. So the number two thing is we want to interpret Scripture with other Scriptures. This is really important. In other words, the best way to understand um, the Bible is with the Bible. Okay? We're not going to take just a single verse and somehow build a life theology around a single verse somewhere. Instead, we're going to go see what other Bible verses say about that, that topic. And, and, and we're going to build a theology using the, the competency of 66 books 66 books that have been written by over 40 authors inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we want uh, to see how to, um, to understand it that way, to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Number three, and probably the most important part of, it, of interpreting Scripture, is we get to learn how to apply what we learn. The Bible is not just a book to be studied as much as it's God's letter to us to be lived. We want to learn how to apply it to our lives. And so that's what we're going to try and do today as we understand um, John chapter 14, the words of Jesus. You can have whatever you ask in my name. Um, and, I, and I want to understand the context. I'm going to, we're going to understand the context. We're going, to, we're going to interpret the Bible with the Bible and then learn to apply it. So I'm going to start with the context. So, okay, at, at broad strokes, you know, ask a simple question. Who wrote the book of John? Anybody, you probably know it's John, right? John wrote the book of John? I'm going to give you credit for that. You better smile at me, okay? You're, you're going to, I'm, I'm going to have a, you know. So John wrote the book of John. That's not a trick question. And what's, if, to ask yourself the question, what's the main theme of the book of John? The whole, the whole book itself, if you were to ask yourself the main theme, um, I'll tell you, in case you don't know. The main thing is this. I think John was trying to prove a couple of things. Jesus is actually God. That's the main theme of the book. Jesus is actually a God. And then the secondary theme is because he's actually God, he has actual authority to forgive sins. That's the theme of the book. Jesus is actually God, and he can save you. He has the authority to to write for you the future of forever because he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. That grants to him the authority to say, you can be saved. And he does that. That's the wonderful thing. But that's the theme of the book. That's the theme. And I think that's a, that's a very, pretty good reason why um, if you have someone who's an absolute new Christian and they, they say to you, what part of the Bible should I read? Or you, you're talking to someone who is not a Christian, but they're curious and they know, well, what part of the Bible should I read? The book of John. It's a great place to start people. The book of John. Um, and uh, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is one of the four Gospels. They'll hear the Gospel, but it's a good one if, you, if you're going to start with one. The book of John is a really good one because of the theme. And in fact, the book of John starts out just like the Old Testament does. It's, it starts with the creation. And we're going to see that in uh, John 1.1. 1, 1. I'll just start there and we'll just read that verse. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Did you catch that? The word was with God, and the word was God. And then if you, in chapter 1, if you sca- scoot down, because I'm not going to use that as our text today. I don't want to spend too much time there. Scoot down to, to uh, v- uh, verse 14. It says, And the word became flesh 
That's Jesus, and dwelt among us. Okay, let's read those two verses together and see what's going on there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you see the picture there of the deity of Christ? There it is. John starts, he shoots like a cannon out the gate. Jesus is God. He's saying this. And uh, then our text today that's all the way down several chapters later in, in chapter 14. But the theme of the book, remember, is Jesus God. And, and, and finally in, in chapter 14, Jesus says, Ask for me anything in my name and I'll do it. Okay, so now if we're going to look at the context of chapter 14, the whole chapter, to see what's going on there, to, to understand what's going on in that particular verse. So we've looked at, at, at one verse, you know, um, ask me for anything in my name. But, but, but doing that's kind of like jumping into the middle of a conversation. Jesus is in a dialogue when he makes that statement. So, um, so here's, here's kind of the background of what's going on in that chapter. Just before chapter 14, Jesus has told the disciples, I'm leaving. He's told them, I'm leaving. So this is right before... Um, the betrayal, and right before the crucifixion. So that's what's going on chronologically and his- historically. And he's told them, he says, I'm going to be leaving, but, but don't be afraid. He starts out this chapter, you don't need to be afraid because I'm leaving, but I'm going to go to a place. I'm going to go, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. That's basically, I'm going to paraphrase here. He says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. So he starts talking to them. I'm leaving, but I'm making some preparations. And when he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you, um, he starts telling them, uh, he's talking about heaven and in the future. And this passage is one I like to use in memorial services because the point Jesus is making, he, he goes to an actual place. He's doing something specific there, and it's personal. It's for you and for me. He's on a plan. He's on a pathway to do something. He's on a mission. And, um, and then he says some other things in that chapter. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So again now, he's talking about and making preparations. He's, he's declaring, I'm God. No one gets to the Father but by me, and I'm going to go prepare a place. It's the theme of the book again. He's God, and he's making a plan here. And then he, he, he does some things to encourage him. He says, but, but listen, I've got some really, really good news. I'm paraphrasing again, of course, but he says, I'm going to send something to you, the Holy Spirit to you, who's going to make a huge difference. He's, he's going to live actually in your life, and it's going to make such a difference to you. So chapter 14, this whole chapter, the context is, the theme of this, you know, is that he's the, he, the theme of the whole book is that he's God and he offers salvation. And the main theme and the context of this chapter we're in is that he's God and, um, and he's, he's got the authority to save, and he's making preparations for their future. He's God, and he's making preparations for their future. One more time. So um, the context of the whole book is to prove Jesus is the Son of God. Now, with that understanding, with understanding the context now, let's go back and reread, reread um, the, the verse that we're looking at. And, and, and remember, he's leaving them physically, and he's telling them it's going to be okay. You don't have to worry because I'm making preparations. And I want to remind you one other thing. When these men have prayed in the past, they've been praying to the God of their fathers, to Jehovah. They've been praying to the Father, right? They've never prayed to Jesus because he's been standing there. You're with me? So in the past, the prayers have been to the Father. In that context, here we go. So let's read it with that. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 13. 
and I will do whatever you ask in my name. And then Jesus explains the reason why he's going to do this. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Do you see what just happened here? A couple of things. I think they're pretty significant. First one, Jesus is telling them they can pray in his name. Not only to the Father, but to him. The context here, Jesus is God. They can now go right straight to him with their prayers. That is one of the things that you can capture out of this scripture. In the past, they've only prayed to the God of their fathers, to Jehovah. Now he's saying, you can pray in my name. There's permission there. And then the other thing is he explains why God answers prayer. And the reason God answers prayer is, is specifically not so our life could be better. It's not, it's not so that we can have more money. It's not so we can have that dream kitchen, although it's okay to ask God for those things, and it's good to. You should. But the reason that God answers prayers is what Jesus said is so that the Father may be glorified in heaven. When we read this passage, understanding that, that we, you and I, are not the main subject of the Bible, but God is the main subject of the Bible, which you can verify elsewhere, John chapter 5, verse 39, teaches that we find that there's a different purpose for our prayers than what many of us often realize. So... Why are you dealing with this today, Terry? I mean, what's, what's the reason this made the first one on your list of nested scriptures, bird-nested scriptures? Well, because as a pastor, I would make the case that, I would argue that maybe this, this particular scripture and the ramifications of it are, is one of the most common reasons I've seen people walk away from faith in God. I mean... I see people, I prayed it. I believed it. He didn't do it. He did not answer my prayers. Therefore, he's not real. He's, he doesn't care. He's just not good. I mean, I watch that process happen in too many people's lives. Over and over again, I've seen people walk away from faith in God because God didn't do what we wanted God to do. So using that context... I want to translate these scriptures now with scripture and see what the Bible says about what matters to God when you pray. Four things that God cares about when we pray. The first thing that we should recognize that matters to God when we pray is this, when evidently our relationships matter. Our relationships matter to God. Um, Jesus was talking in Mark 11, verse 24 and 25. He says this, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. That's a pretty amazing promise. Verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, anything against anyone, Jesus says, what do we, Jesus says to do then is to forgive them. Why? Why is that? Why? So that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Do you see there's a cause and, a ref, a, a cause and effect relationship there? that if you want a couple of things going on that are pretty serious to us, the, the stakes here are huge. If you want your prayers to be heard, you, you, you can't be unforgiving towards people. Your relationship's got to be right. And the Lord's ability to forgive me is also tied to my forgiveness of the people around me. Wow. Those are pretty huge stakes. These are the words of Jesus. I didn't make this up. 
And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, what does Jesus say to do? Forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. I, I, you know where I struggle with that the most? Or not the most, but I struggle with it? Is distant people who I will never meet, who are in authority over me, and they do things that I think are evil. And I'm not trying to get political with you, but they're political leaders of both parties. And they do things, and I think they hurt people, and I think they affront God, and I get mad at them, and because I'll never interact with them, <laughs> I can pack that around with me instead of just forgiving it. Anything against anyone. But God, Jesus, don't you read Fox News? <laughs> I don't know if he does or not. Anything against anyone so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. Evidently, relationships matter to God when we pray. And I, I think that if you're praying and you're ticked at somebody, go deal with it now. Now, not later. Just go deal with it. In fact, now, I want to just talk for a second to the husbands for a moment. And wives, through this, I want no elbows, no amens. You know, you just sit there, you look forward and pretend like I'm talking about somebody else's husband, okay? You let God be God in your man's life and let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit shape him. Okay, 1 Peter 3 verse 7 says this, Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Man, <laughs> I mean, I think about how can I apply that? You know, the translation is that if, Terry, if you're a jerk to your wife, which I've never. <laughs> Look at her, she sits there and smiles at me. She's saying, Holy Spirit's at work here, Terry. I don't have to say anything. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, if I'm a jerk with her, wh- what is that going to do? It's just going to hinder my prayers. as well as mess up my relationship. Apparently, relationships matter to God. Second thing is this. Your motives matter to God when you pray. James, who was the brother of Jesus, said this in chapter 4, verse 3 of his book. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Wow. And this was common um, in, in, in the days of Jesus, the Pharisees often prayed with wrong motives. You know, they, they wanted to be seen, they wanted to be heard. So they'd stand out on the street corners and, and they'd pray these loud, intentionally flowery, long prayers, hoping to impress people, you know. Oh God, Father in heaven, I thank you that I'm not like these gentles, Gentiles, that I'm holy. You know, they'd pray these terrible, hypocritical prayers. And God's saying, that's the wrong motive. Jesus talked about that. He says, you're a hypocrite when you do these kinds of things. And I think that we can be susceptible to that. Not quite to that degree, maybe. But we can pray sometime with the wrong, wrong motives. Proverbs 16, 2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. In other words, the th- we, we, the thing, we think we're doing the right thing. But the Lord weighs the spirits. The word spirits there is translated in some of the other translations as motives. The Lord weighs the motives. So apparently... There are some things that matter to God when you pray. Your relationships matter. Your motives matter. Number three, your faith matters to God when you pray. 
James said it this way in uh, 1, James 1, verses 6 and 7. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Uh, Have you ever watched the waves? (laughs) They just kind of, you know, blown by the wind. And James, great, great, apparently your faith moves the heart of God. Your faith matters to God. I, I love it when when the scriptures talk about, and Jesus talked about um, this, this wonderful thing called childlike faith. I mean, some of you, you've got a child or maybe a grandchild, and, and that little one really trusts Jesus. And there's something wonderful and beautiful about, you know, childlike faith. I, I saw this with, with our daughter, Rachel. I've told you before about her, our, our, our confronting um, diagnosis that she had epilepsy, and they said it's lifelong and all this kind of stuff, and just kind of get used to it. And there was a moment where she was, I can still remember it, she was a little girl, probably five, five-ish, and um, she's grown up now and is producing grandbabies like, like, like it's great. Um, but anyway, so she's five, she's sitting on my lap. And at five, I'm telling you what, a father will do, any, I would do anything to protect my little girl. And there was nothing I could do to fix this. And, um, but I also was petitioning heaven about it. And, and at one point, a sense of absolute faith, and it was supernatural. It was not me mustering up willpower. It wasn't positive confession. It was, I knew in my bones, be whole. I knew it. And she's sitting on my lap. I don't mean to leave Lisa out of this. She was part of this as well. I just am telling you my firsthand experience. And I said, Rachel, I believe the Lord is healing you. And this little five-year-old, she looks at me like, well, of course, Dad. I know. He's already healed me. And she was miraculously healed. I'll jump to the end of the story, but come back to this moment. You know, of course, Dad. I think so. Me too. This little sweet five-year-old. See my bookmark I keep in my Bible? She made this at camp for me. I love this little bookmark. (laughs) She's sitting in my, of course, Dad. And faith came out of her. It was childlike faith. And I wish I could tell you, you know, I'd like to think that I'm some manner of faith-filled man of God that when he prays, you know. And yeah, that can happen sometimes. But I, when it comes down to it, I, I have a tendency to think that it was probably her childlike faith that moved the heart of God. And then the Lord let me in on it. Never know that for sure. Childlike faith. Oh, God honor that. Our faith matters to God. There was two blind men that, that came to Jesus and, and they cried out, Jesus, have mercy on us. You read about this in Mark 29 or 929. And um, the scripture says, Then Jesus touched their eyes and said, These are the words of Jesus now, according to your faith, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Your faith matters to God. And more than that, it's a little bit of a rabbit trail. It's just a short one. More than just that it matters to him, Hebrews 11.6 tells us that, that you cannot actually please God unless you have faith in your life. It's impossible, it says, to please God without it. Why does, why does faith matter to God so much? I, I believe that there are many reasons, but a couple of them is this. Faith in God produces two things, true trust in him and a true dependency upon him. That's what faith in God really does. You will trust him and you'll depend on him when you have faith in God. So 
If you're like taking really good notes right now, you might conclude that, okay, if my relationships are good and um, if my motives are pure and if I have enough faith, God has to do whatever I ask him to do. You know, I want that car in Jesus' name. I got to have that car now. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't want to work, but, but in the name of Jesus, I'm going to win that lottery. Okay, um, I mean, I want that girl in Jesus. I mean, okay, so I mean, we can pray these things <laughs> in Jesus. And the problem with believing um, God has to do whatever I ask in Jesus' name is we can slip into a belief system where we can command God. It's up to me. It's up to my faith. And um, if I just have enough faith, if I, if I just have pure enough motives... If I do this, God's got to, and then I fill in the blank. I put the money in, I pull the lever, i got to get now what I've ordered. And without meaning to, somehow we've turned God into Harry Potter's wand. Now, long about now, there's maybe some of you getting kind of mad at me right now. You know, um, because maybe you've been raised... With this, and maybe you're about to write me off. I'm, I'm just going to say, you know, please hang on just a couple minutes. Give me a chance here, and because I, I really, this is really, really serious. A really serious point. Number four, we need to understand that God's will matters when we pray. His sovereign nature, his his character, his eternal plan, his goodness. God's will matters when we pray. It always does. And John, who is the very same John who wrote the scripture, you know, if you can have anything, you pray in the name of Jesus. He also said this in 1 John um, chapter 5, starting at verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So we can't just ask, you know, whatever we want and demand that God does it for us. That makes us God, not him. It's not according to my will. It's according to his will. Jesus even said that on the cross. You can read about that in, in Luke. Nevertheless, you know, he said, Lord, if this cup could pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And if we understand that, when we read our text... John 14, 14, it'll make a little more sense. Jesus says, you can ask, for any, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it in my name. In other words, if we, when we go to the Father and we're using the name of Jesus, then we need to ask for things according to the will of God or, or we are misusing the name of Jesus. If we ask for something outside the will of God, we're actually misusing let me explain it to you this way. Um, and now these are not perfect illustrations, but they might help here a little bit. Um, it, 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 I have this relationship with the bank. We have a little tiny bit of money there. But I write these things called checks. Some of you don't even know what a check is anymore. But I write these things called checks, and I, put, I sign my name at the bottom. And I can give it to you, and you can take it to the bank, and they will give you money because I have a claim against the, the bank, and they honor my name. Here's another one. Um, I'm a race car fan. 
Take it or leave it. I just love race cars. It's crazy. Some of you think that's so stupid. I mean, but ever since I was 13 and I went to my very first, I had some neighbors who said, come on with us. We're going to go up to Seattle International Raceway. And I thought, what's that? And they took me and there was a sports car race and the cars went around and around and around and around. I thought that was the coolest thing. I still think it's the coolest thing. I mean, I love any kind of racing. I got up early this morning and I watched the beginning of the Formula One race. Don't tell me how it ended, but I've already seen the beginnings of the Formula One race because it broadcasts at 4.30 in the morning. I should be studying the Word of God at 4.30 on a Sunday morning or sleeping. <laughs> but anyway, so I watched enough. While I was eating my breakfast, I watched. So I love car racing. I love other kinds of racing too, but I love it. And a number of years ago, um, my close friend, I have, I have a very close friendship with um, Pastor Burt Smith. Some of you know Pastor Burt. Well, Pastor Burr's from Southern California. He just knows all these people. And he knew he had a friend who had a friend. It was a couple of leaps removed. And um, you go enough friends over, and um, the next guy in the friendship list is a guy named Dan Gurney. Now, some of you, you don't know who Dan Gurney is, if, but if, if you know who Dan Gurney is, you know who Dan Gurney is. He's, he's a racer. He's got this race shop in Southern California, All-American all Racers. He's been racing cars forever. He has raced in the Indy 500. He has raced and won the 24 hours of Daytona. He, not, 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 not Daytona, um, um, not, Lama, Lama, the big one, the big one. I, I was joking when I bowed down. Okay, okay, please forgive me for that. But he, he's raced and won Formula One races. This guy, he's all-American racing, big deal. And uh, mostly sports car racing, and, and uh, uh, probably in the late 80s, he was racing. And he, he, he quit driving these cars, and he started having this team where he was, his, his cars were running. And they were running in sports car racing in North America. And I actually took Lisa, and um, we would be worshiping God on Sundays at uh, Portland Raceway to see the race cars. Um, and you can actually race God, or you can actually... <laughs> You can't race. You can actually worship God at a racetrack, and if you're not sure about that, I'll show you how sometime. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so um, this this guy, a friend of a friend of a friend, and Pastor Brett says, "Hey, you want to go see Dan Gurney's race shop?" Yeah, I do. Okay, so one of these kinds of things. So we're, we're down um, in Southern California for a pastor's something going on down there, and, and he's talked to his friend who's talked to his friend who's talked to somebody. And so we now get to go, and he, I go to Dan Gurney's race shop. Now, mind you, in this industry, they are very secretive. It doesn't, it's not a retail place where you can walk in and go see the race cars. This is an industrial place somewhere in Los Angeles and, and big buildings and multiple buildings. There's a lot of employees. It's a big, high-dollar operation. This is a world-class deal. And um, so we go, and the friend's taking me in. And um, so he, he's saying, he, I'm, I'm getting this personal, private tour of Dan Gurney's race. It's really cool. And um, I'm loving it. And we go, we go into this one room, and here are these guys... This is not very... Women won't understand. Here are these guys welding up these aluminum exhaust manifolds. Man, was it cool. So. I love you, honey. I want my prayer suited. So, I mean, it was the diameter of the curves and trying to make them... All these things, because these guys cared about getting one or two or three extra horsepower and welding these aluminum tubes. I don't think it's easy to weld aluminum to get get them perfect. Well, the guy doing the welding and one of the other guys stopped what they were doing and they covered these things up. Who are you? 
Why are you here? I'm a friend of a friend of a friend, you know. And I mentioned this guy's name, Tommy Kendall, sent this. Oh, oh, okay. You're not going to take any pictures or tell anybody. It's, no, 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 no. Tommy told me, I'm not going to do anything. Okay, tell me what you're doing. And said, come here. They showed me all this and the curves and all this kind of stuff, and that was really cool. Then they said, come here. You want to see something else that's cool? We go out another door, and we go in this other room. And now that we're in, like, I am in, like, the secret of the secret. Here's this clay model of next year's race car. Okay, it's this big that they've sculpted, and they've been in wind tunnels with it. And it's, I mean, this is a big deal in the racing industry. All kinds of secrets. Their future livelihood. I'm getting all excited. Can you tell? <laughs> their livelihood is how they can beat the other teams, and their ideas are on this clay model. Why are you here? They don't know me. When I mention this guy's name, oh, sure, fine. In fact, come on, Dan's in his office. Dan Gurney. So they take me in there, introduce me, hi, you know, mention the guy's name, Dan steps up, he comes around here, let's take your picture, shake your hand, in fact, let me sign a baseball hat, I mean, just all of this, not because of Terry Fisher, all this because of the name of Tommy Kendall. Oh, I don't even know, a friend of a friend of a friend. <laughs> Honoring the name, it's kind of a silly illustration, but you get the picture. And it's, 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 it's a worldly example of, of, of a godly principle. I went in there, and I treated these guys with absolute respect. I was very careful. Because using someone else's name is a privilege and a responsibility. Using Jesus' name is a privilege and a responsibility. In other words, Jesus is taking his relationship with God and giving me access to the Father. Access that I could never achieve on my own. I can't get in there. It's a privilege and a responsibility. And Jesus is giving you and me something that we cannot earn. When you go before the Lord, when you go before God in the name of Jesus... You, you and I have access to the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who spoke it into existence because Jesus gives us the right to speak to God and, and, and we don't deserve the right to speak to God. Suddenly you recognize that using the name of Jesus is just this huge responsibility and, and privilege. And it's not some key that we use to unlock to get what we want. We come in honoring Jesus who gives, me, gives us access to the Father. And here's what happens. We pray. And sometimes God does a miracle. Other times we pray and sometimes it doesn't go like we want it to. And the tragedy is that people walk away from God because God didn't do exactly what we asked and wanted him to do. Listen, I've got right now several items on my prayer list and I, I don't want to be specific with you because some of the things I'm praying about are private things about people in this room. But I, I, I have a list that I churn through and you know it's people with physical issues or pr- issues of provision, people whose parents need salvation, people with you know wandering children, I just all these things. And, 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 and over time, God answers prayers and some of those things come off my list. Others, I'm still praying about them. 
here's the thing. I believe God can answer any one of those items on my list every single day. And here's what you need to know. I I believe that every day when I talk to God, I I believe that God can heal. God can provide. God can, can intervene in relationships. God can save. In fact, I don't believe he can. I believe God will intervene. I believe God will provide. I believe God will save. But even if he doesn't, I still believe. I still believe. I still believe. I still believe he can, and I still believe he will. But even if he doesn't, I still believe. I still believe. Why? Because my faith doesn't rest on what God will do for me. My faith rests on what Jesus already did for me. He did it for me on the cross and with an empty tomb. It's already settled. And I'm telling you what, I am unwavering about this. I intend to stay unwavering. If prayer is only this tool for us to get what we want, that's kind of like an insult to God. It can really be. Imagine if I only, you know, if I went to my, my, my father, my earthly father, and said, hey, Dad, Dad, give me this. In the name of Fisher, give me this. I want this. Give it to me. <laughs> that makes my father my servant. God's not my servant. I'm his servant. I'm not the main character of Scripture. God is the main character of Scripture. If he doesn't do what I want, if he, it, it, it just, if he doesn't do what I want, that does not wreck my faith because it's not based on getting what I demand. It's based on his love. It's based on his, the fact that Jesus came and paid that price for me. And that changes everything. It changes everything. The purpose of God answering prayers is so that he would get glory. And the reason I pray isn't to get from him what I want, but it's this. It's for me to submit my will to God's will. And that's so hard to do. Your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. With, um, with that understanding, I hope that your faith is built. I hope that you pray for really big things. I really hope that you, that you believe God does and he will answer your prayers. Because our faith rests on his goodness, on the empty tomb, and the fact that he rose again so that we could live. And that's the reason that we put our faith in him. Let's pray. God, um,